Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you on a beautiful, sunny, and very springy uh, day here in Happy Valley. It's Friday morning, and uh, we're kind of caught in between spring ball and a really, really busy June recruiting month where we're going to have the campus visits and we're going to have the prospect camps and, and all that coming our way. So we figured right now in between, good time to maybe have a reflective conversation, look back a little bit. And we landed on the 2017 recruiting class because we've got a lot of answers on that group at this point. Uh, several players, more than you would anticipate, uh, maybe remain on campus because of the NCAA eligibility changes. You've got some fifth year juniors around. And then about half this class is concluded their career elsewhere or continuing their college career elsewhere, a couple in the NFL. So we got a lot to dive into, Sean, there. And, and this was the class that signed with Penn State coming off of their Big Ten championship run. Um, it was James Franklin's fourth overall class with the Nittany Lions. And this is one that I didn't really cover. I remember my first time on campus covering this program, Sean. Those guys were introduced at the spring football game in 2017. A few of them were already enrolled, of course. Um, but this is a group that I'm going to lean on you in terms of the high school dynamics and the and the camps and all that. Uh, because aside from Sean Clifford, KJ Handler, Fred Hansard, some of those other guys, I really didn't do much coverage of this of this group coming out of high school. So uh, we got a bunch to dive into, and, and we're both going to bring in, I think, a, a little bit of a separate perspective because I'm assuming for many of them, you were on the phone with these guys when they were 15, 16 years old. Yeah, these are guys that some of some of this group was in as a freshman. I mean, I remember Lamont Wade camping as a freshman. Um, but yeah, this was a really interesting cycle because, um, you know, you, you look at kind of you're kind of wearing off that new coach bump. You mentioned it was Franklin's fourth full class. Um, well, somewhere in between that new coach bump and that Big Ten title was this class. And that's uh, that's not to to knock on it. That's not to, to pump it up or anything like that. But it was just a very interesting cycle because it finished strong, no doubt about it, um, after the Big Ten title game. But you think about 2016, the summer of 2016, you know, magical Big Ten title ahead. You know, Franklin, I don't want to say it was on the hot seat, but there were plenty of questions, especially coming after um, that 2015 season. So there were so many things that was up and down. Um, I, I kind of wrote down it was a slow start, but if you look at how they started, it really wasn't that. It was just kind of a lull right in the middle. And that's something that we've kind of gotten used to um, in, in the last couple of cycles. But that's how it was in the 2017 class. Um, 21 signees, number 15 in the composite. You mentioned nine of them did not finish their college careers at Penn State. It's actually a pretty decent hit rate when you think about it. And, and everybody, you know, we 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 get excited about all the commitments every every year, but in the at the end, you know, a little more than half usually is is a good number, and that's that's kind of where they finished in 2017. So um, some studs, some real studs in this group, some guys that were highly rated that, you know, maybe didn't live up to those expectations. And it was just kind of a great mixed bag of, of where everything stood at this point. And, and again, it was a, it was a fascinating dynamic because 
you go into the season thinking, okay, Franklin's got to do something or he gets fired. You you get to the end of the first month and you're thinking, okay, that's really true. And then mm. a few months later, you're celebrating a Big Ten title in, in Indianapolis. Right. And then this is followed by, you know, where, where you're really letting that Big Ten championship run sink in with the high school juniors and sophomores at the time. You end up with back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes in 18 and 19. And to your point, when this when they really got building the foundation of this 2017 recruiting class, there was, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of solid footing for James Franklin to stand on. Um, uh, coming from the, the the sanction era, Penn State, obviously that was in play. But the main thing was the the win and loss column. And, and to your point, uh, was it uh, fourteen and, and twelve through the first couple seasons, two and two through that first month? So, you, you, when you recruit the eighteen class and 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 you circle back and bring guy like like Parsons on board, you have that that Big Ten bump and you have uh, you know a, a, another strong run, another eleven win season. This was a group getting put together by a seven win program that was still recovering from what happened earlier in the decade. Yeah, and you had the guys in the prior class like Shane Simmons and Miles Sanders who committed very early. Obviously, the highly rated guys, that great offense line class that they brought in in 2015 as well. Um, So you were kind of, as I said, coming off of that hill for the new coach bump. It was kind of prove it because you had a new quarterback in Trace McSorley at this point. And and it's interesting because we will tie and you, you we did this to start. You'll tie the Big Ten title to this group, but you really didn't see the effects of the Big Ten title until that 2018 cycle. Um, Tariq Castro Fields, probably the one in this mm-hmm. class that, that, that it would have made a difference for. And, uh, you know, it did no doubt about it. He came in and, and really set up, I think set up an official or really game high on Penn state after that big 10 title and that, that late run. And it was kind of a organic magical time, I guess you could call it, but it was, I mean, it was, it was really kind of unmatched in what, in what they were able to do. Um, so Castro Fields was was probably the only product of that. Maybe the run that they went on got you Fred Hanser, but I'm not sure, you know, he was committed to Florida at the time, but yeah. I'm not sure how much, you know, if, if that would have happened without that run. You know what I'm saying? So um, right. very, very interesting group at the top of the board. Uh, Lamont Wade is, is ranked as your number one composite guy. Um, that's largely dependent on that rivals five-star ranking that we've talked about a bunch um, that was, was way too high, obviously in, in hindsight. So, um, yeah, you, you, you look at the group and you got some contributors and, and a lot of that top part hit, I think Yitor Gross Matos is, is probably your linchpin of the class, maybe KJ Hamler, but we probably got to see a little bit more of Gross Matos. So a good group across the board, but I, I guess we'll start at the, the bottom. You got nine guys that didn't finish their career at Penn state and, some of these you could see coming. This is a really interesting dynamic that that Tyler and I were talking about before that went on the show. We've kind of hammered home talking about getting verified measurements and getting what you need to evaluate these players and getting all the information available. And there's four big misses here and evaluation misses, which you don't see a ton of those with Penn State anymore. But back at the time, Robert Martin was not a division one athlete and, and he spent one year and then moved on. And I think he, he finished his, I I don't, I I don't want to speak for him finishing, but he stayed at Penn state, Corey Bolds. They took at the last second. That's kind of the redeeming quality for the Bolds commitment was okay. They had one scholarship left over. They gave him a call at the end. His recruitment started out on a high note. Uh, A bunch of schools were interested 
a bunch of schools then tailed off, including Penn State. Penn State came right in the end. We've talked about throwing numbers at that position at defensive tackle. That's what they did. Bold was out after a year. He was not uh, He was not a guy that was going to play at this level. Uh, Braylon Faison Walden was probably the most surprising one because if you look at his offer list and you look at the schools that were pursuing him, Michigan was hard on him. Uh, a couple other you know, good schools were, were hard on him. And Penn State, that seemed like a really good recruiting win at the time. He got here wasn't as athletic. He had some injury issues in high school. Wasn't really the the guy that filled out. He, he eventually transferred to Charlotte. I don't think he's on the roster anymore. Um, and then Braylon Franklin, which was a complete projection by the staff, probably a division one athlete in terms of testing numbers and things like that. Just not a division one linebacker. And then eventually not a division one defensive end. So to me, when you're talking about misses and you can deal with injury misses or guys that maybe get passed up by, by guys that are, are more talented, but these were four. And, and when you're talking about a class of 21, four of 21 that were, were poor evaluations, bad evaluations, that, that one stings. As you said, you look at where those guys landed after happy Valley, it, it tells the story of, of kind of how they were evaluated as football talents at this level. You had Braylon Faison Walden going to North Carolina, Charlotte. You mentioned uh, Sam Houston state f- for Braylon Franklin, both those guys, linebackers and, and uh, Robert not, Martin. Not a good cycle for Braylon's. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. And, and Robert Martin, uh, you know, football career just, just came to a halt and, and Corey Bolds for, for was that went the Juco route was with ASA college in Brooklyn. I know he was committed to, to I believe, walk on at walk Rutgers. on at Rutgers. Yeah. yeah um, and, but that was under the Chris Ash regime. And I know that it just never materialized when Shiano came in, he didn't end up on the Rutgers roster. I don't know what's going on with Corey Bolds at this point in his athletic career, but yeah, as you said, it became pretty apparent early on for those four guys that it was not in the cards at Penn State. They moved on. Other players worked but, their way before out we of get town there, Before yeah. we get there, so Martin was an interesting one to me because he played for Augie Hoffman at, at St. Joe's Montvale, um, which, as you know, produces some of the best offensive linemen, you know, high school offensive linemen in the country. Really, it's just Augie's a great coach, and and they they keep they coach him up right and that may have been a situation where he was so well coached in high school you can mm-hmm. look you could look away from the other things the athletic testing and things like that you thought okay he's you know he, he's got a high you can talk yourself into having a high floor um he came in at, i mean he was testing at a walk-on level if that and that was like from there it was like oh we we definitely missed now to their credit i mean he was only around for a year and to his credit he's he stuck around it and went to school but it was just like okay that's the rationalization for that. And you can make, you can make arguments for all these guys. Cause it's, it's all hindsight and it's all, mm-hmm. you know, happy, happy stuff. But um, yeah, that, that was one where you thought, okay, he's, he's well coached. Maybe he's a technician. Maybe he's a guy that, you know, can make things work despite some a- athletic shortcomings. And it just doesn't happen. Cause when you step on that field, I mean, we, we, people get mad all the time about, okay, you're selling the, 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 the little guy short and things like that. And there's every time you mention a five eleven linebacker, there's a, a list of five exceptions to the rule where you don't talk about the other thousand that don't hit. So that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, but yeah, the, when you get into, when you get into that locker room, uh, you, when you start testing with Dwight Galt and you can't keep up with, mm. you know, with the other guys around you, that, you know, that's a serious serious uh, red flag there. And, and you saw it and, and none of these guys were on campus all that long. And, and it's really not surprising looking back. It's glaring once you hit that practice field too. Um, and I think it becomes pretty apparent for the player and the coaching staff that 
it's not going to materialize. And you can be a good soldier, you can be a great locker room guy, and you can hang around and, and work toward your degree. Um, but oftentimes, if you want to play, you got to find another path and you got to make that move pretty quickly, as some of these guys did. By the way, you, you, we mentioned before recording the, the numbers and how underwhelming they were for for Robert Martin, I don't want to dump on the kid, but we talked so much during this pause and, and visits and camps during the past year about the need for verifiable measurements. They had all that information for Robert Martin. Um, the coaching staff has evolved. I mean, is there any way possible you could see a player producing those kind of test results and even sniffing a scholarship offer from Penn State here entering the summer of 2021? No, I don't think so. I mean, that's they are overly cautious about that stuff now, and these are you know sort of cautionary tales. And I and I get why. You know, it's it's sort of that's the evolution that we've seen. And I know it's only been four years, but that's kind of the evolution that we've seen um, with with them checking and double checking guys get frustrated when you put on, you know, Robert Martin's tape was not horrible. Like he was a, a well-coached offensive lineman and, you know, it kind of showed through and then, you know, he, he, this is a different level and that's kind of the, the takeaway from that. Sean, the one thing I will say about Bowles is you always kind of put him, you know, he was always the guy that was with Rashawn Gary at every camp. Now you're younger than Rashawn Gary, but played at Paramus Catholic together. It was a stacked Paramus Catholic team, a bunch of power five players. And I don't know if that helped build up Bowles. I'm, I'm, I'm certain Absolutely. it helped build, it, yeah. it, it helped, it helped build up Bowles profile. Um, and, you know, you just wonder you know, how that played a role in him getting to the point where he had some power five options at the end, ending up with Penn state very quickly, um, you know, leaving this level of college football. I mean, he was, he was going to Rutgers. Like there was no question about it. And then Penn state called, I think Franklin called him up at like four 30 on signing day. They kind of kept him warm to that point and said, okay, if we have a scholarship, we'll let you know. And he said, okay, let me know. And, and I, I, I assume Rutgers had like the graphics ready and stuff for him to sign. And then he hopped on board with Penn state and that's kind of how it works. And, and we've seen guys like that in the past. And, and honestly, the, the hit rate's not tremendous. Um, uh, Bryn, uh, Brennan Th thrift from Lackawanna is one that kind of jumps out there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really dicey game when you're going at the last second. Now I think it's, it's, you probably, you didn't see that this year. You probably are, have learned from that situation before. Now they took Kevin Givens at the last minute, but they, they knew what Kevin Givens was. Um, or at least Daquan Hardy was it, like a last minute guy. Yeah. I'm it? trying to think Tor Torrance Brown was one when they just got here. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've, you've grabbed those guys at the last second there, there's been success. Um, but I think you kind of, yeah, you could probably kind of see that one coming. Um, other guys who did not end up getting to the finish line here with Penn state, although, you know, we got a guy like CJ Thorpe who graduated from Penn state. He posted a photo of in his cap and gown this week. Congratulations to him, but he's still got two two years of eligibility. He's mentioned before he wants to play defensive line. Really. I mean, we're talking about the top rated lineman in this 2017 class um, ended up working his way into the rotation at defensive tackle during his second year on campus was thrust into that role against Ohio state. Uh, and, and now we look at where his, you know, his career has gone. We felt, I think both that he was, you know, going to seize that opportunity at right guard and, and, and really kind of hold that role and, and, and impress. And it just never came to fruition. He was in that rotation for a while with Mike Miranda. Then that was a rotation last year um, where he was getting pulled off the field. He saw Will Fries end up at right guard. CJ Thorpe wasn't seen on the field the last few weeks of the season. And, and now he's looking for a new home. That's to be determined. But what do you make of CJ Thorpe who came in from Western Pennsylvania, uh, a top 100 overall prospect and a guy that, you know, we talked about promise on both sides of the ball. We saw quite a bit of him in a Penn State uniform, uh, but not 
not to the point where, you know, he, 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 he had a, a full-time role in his possession. It, that, that one's going to eat at me for a while because I, I've always been really high on CJ Thorpe. You know, you saw him in, in high school. He was kind of a wrecking ball. Uh, I think there's probably a mashing of personalities, which kind of, um, you know, started as a slow burn. And by the end, it was, you know, it was time to time to part ways. So I've always been high on his talent in terms of what he's been able to do. I like the way that he plays the game, maybe goes a little bit too far. Sometimes he's had some penalties to his name, but he, he plays physical and, and generally one of the bigger surprises from the last two years in terms of how we thought he would take to maybe this Kirk Chirac offense. Okay. They're going to run the ball. That's great for, that's great news for CJ Thorpe. Cause he's always been a run blocker, always had to work on his pass protection. So I just, I, I don't have an answer for that one because I, I think he's a talented kid. I think he can go somewhere and I think he can make an impact. He wants to be a defensive tackle and more power to him. But that's one that, that certainly was a miss. I know I've talked to Doan about this one before is we, we thought in terms of evaluating offensive linemen, which is extremely hard and it's probably the hardest one to do um, or the hardest position to do. We thought it was a pretty safe bet that he was going to be successful, be a multi-year starter. It just never came around. So sometimes that happens and it's, and it's unfortunate. And um, like you said, he did play a decent amount, but when you compare him side by side with Mike Miranda, uh, the, the thing was always, okay, Miranda's got the higher floor. Thorpe's got the higher ceiling. Well, you don't develop the way you you think he's going to, that you're never going to reach that ceiling. And now all of a sudden Mike Miranda's a three-year starter and it's going to be the linchpin of your offensive line at center. So that's uh that's an interesting correlation when you when you put these guys side by side year to year. Um, I don't have an answer for CJ Thorpe. I thought he would be better. I thought he'd have a bigger impact. And I'm kind of disappointed because I really liked him as a prospect. May not have materialized for him on the field. I will say Big time impact on campus, though, as a, as a Penn State student working toward his, toward his his degree. I mean, this is a guy who was very active among his peers, and uh, you know, I think made his mark within the Penn State community. And moving forward, should be proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, moving on, moving on. There's different reasons the guys didn't pan out. Donovan Johnson, fully injury. I mean, this is. It's, yeah. It sucks to watch a guy. I mean, we've, t- we've talked about that story with Nick Tarbert and how we kind of kept expecting, you know, a medical retirement to come or something like that. But Donovan Johnson just uh, time after time couldn't get healthy. And it wasn't like it was the same injury over and over again. Um, he had a really good spring a couple of years ago and he was in that starting nickelback spot. Uh, good speed, good ball skills, had a lot of things that you like. It's just, he came back and just kept getting hurt. I believe it was his last one was an Achilles, which is kind of the, the death knell to a, to a small speedy guy. So um, they, they played without him last year and he's off the roster now, which is, is not a surprise, but man, that's a, that's a tough break for, for a really talented, really athletic kid. That retirement confirmed this offseason. And so Johnson was a four-star. You had um, C.J. Thorpe as a four-star. And you also had one out of Harrisburg and Damian Barber on the offense, on the defensive line. We mentioned a few other linemen here in the conversation with with, uh, with Bowles leaving and, and Martin leaving and, and of course, C.J. Thorpe. And here's Barber, who came in late with this class. Remember, he had some academic fulfillments that he had to get done before he could join them on campus. That set him back a bit. He was transitioning from defensive end to defensive tackle. Um, and, and obviously, uh, you know, with with Barber, um, a guy that we thought there was an opportunity, I believe, during the 2019 season for him to seize, did not come together. And he ends up at Austin P last year, um, taking that step down in terms of competition. And, uh, um, you know, ultimately out of Harrisburg, you got Micah Parsons um, the, the year later, but you didn't get kind of uh, we thought there was a chance for two Harrisburg players there to really make a big dent in the defense in 2019, but didn't come to come together for Barber. 
Yeah, I was, I was high on Barber as well. He had a really great senior year um, playing defensive end. You always projected him because of, you know, his kind of big size and features. You always project him to move to the interior and then be a really athletic defensive tackle. Just didn't come together. I mean, he added that weight and I you just didn't see the same player. Um, I, I, I lump him in. I've got three guys here in, in the uh, 2017 class that you kind of lump together as, you know, division one athletes, like guys that probably who are you, who are, who, excuse me, were who you thought they were as athletes, but kind of got passed up and passed over. So you got Barber, you got Matt Kippenhammer, who obviously had the the issues with the drops and guys came in and sort of took his job. And then DJ Brown, who was a really athletic kid, just came into a room where everybody was better than him. And that's kind of, so it's probably between category one and category two there. Um, but yeah, Barber is a guy that uh, out of that three that I had the highest hopes for. Uh, again, when you, when you take a defensive end and move him to the interior, if he's a, if he's a, great athlete or a good athlete on the, uh, on the edge. He's probably a great athlete in the interior, just never came along. Uh, I think some off field issues certainly came into play here. You mentioned he, he showed up late. He had the ac- academic issues and that was kind of a, a harbinger for what that, what would happen in the next couple of years. And that's unfortunate. So, um, but Barber's uh, certainly another guy that they had really high hopes for and it just never came to fruition. I think, again, there's, I think there's a myriad of, uh, of, reasons that you could throw in front of that one. It's just, it didn't work out. Barber at Austin P you've got DJ Brown at Louisiana tech now and Hippenhammer at Miami of Ohio, where he is also playing baseball. Remember he was a multi-sport athlete here at Penn state. Um, and so Sean, we've kind of worked our way through, through guys who didn't make it to the end with the program and, and right there ranked 20th out of 21 players in this class, a guy who, who didn't complete his college career, um, resulting in what I think will be remembered as one of the great what ifs uh, when you look at Penn State football players and, and, and guys who didn't get that chance to, to blossom. Journey Brown. I mean, it's, it's, it's something we've hammered home so much during the past year. Just what we saw in 2019 when he took the ball in November and ran with it through the Cotton Bowl. I mean, there was a reason there was a conversation about him being the top running back, maybe off the board in a class that featured Travis Etienne, Najee Harris. And I couldn't help but watching that draft a couple of weeks ago, just feeling and, and, you know, for Journey Brown and what he must be going through and him, his family. He is still with the program. He's, he's still providing a, a positive presence for Jaywan Sutter in that running back room. But again, just one of the really, truly short-changed athletic careers for a guy who could have been a superstar on the track and field circuit uh, as, a, as a professional if he chose to do it. And certainly, I think, would have had a lot of opportunities to reach the NFL and, and shine on that stage after coming from relative obscurity as a recruit. Yeah, it's, it's always one of those what might have been stories. And it's, and it sucks. I mean, of, of all the things, you know, it's, it's sometimes you just got to concede that life sucks sometimes. And that's really where you're at with journey Brown. I, uh, you know, really made the most of his opportunity again. Um, you know, hopefully that's a story told in the future in terms of what he's overcome to, to get where he needed to be. And it, he was right there and ready to go. And then all of a sudden just kind of had it all taken away. And that's, and it's not something, it's not a decision that he made. It's not something where he got in, you know, in trouble and all of a sudden he was out of it. It's just, your heart doesn't work. Like, what are you going to do about that? And that's, that, that just sucks. And there's completely out of your hands. I, I fully believe he would have been a high draft pick, probably a second round, third round guy um, as a running back. That's, that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, just to, to think of what we had in front of us, um, you know, with Micah Parsons, with, with journey Brown, with some of these guys and just kind of had it all taken away for different reasons. Uh, that's, that's tough to stomach if you're a Penn state football fan. 
Tony Brown for for a stretch there, six games or so, flashed as much as anybody in this class. I would include KJ Hamler in that conversation. I'd include Yitor Grossmatos and him playing his best football of his career. What we saw from Jordan Brown goes up there with anybody in this class, not as a sustained uh, thing over a span of years, but for that stretch of the season, really special stuff. Let's look at the top of that class, Sean, because um, the names are very familiar up there. The, the guys that are still with the program, guys that have started a bunch of games. Lamont Wade was the number one player, as you said, uh, the rivals five-star rating and where they had him really contributed to, to his stock in terms of the composite, but he did come in um, ranked as the number 43 player in that composite um, guy who was one of three players in that freshman class who burned a red shirt. You had him, Yitor Grossmanos and three Castro fields. Wade came in as a cornerback, ends up as a safety and a two-year starter there. And now a seventh round pick, I'm sorry, now an undrafted free agent to the Pittsburgh Steelers via, um, just a couple weeks ago. What do you, I mean, I know it's hard to say what do you make of Lamont Wade's career, but you got a two-year starter at the back end of this deal. Um, you didn't get uh, a, a, an All-American level talent, which I think some people were probably looking at the hype when he came to campus and thinking that was the inevitable conclusion of his career. What do we make of Mr. Wade's time in Happy Valley? Well, I mean, you look at what you got out of him a couple years as, as a starter. Obviously, if you if you don't pay attention to recruiting rankings. I mean, that's that that's a solid contribution. Um, but unfortunately, that's kind of how, how things are judged when you're coming in here. So I think it's 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 safe to say that the, those expectations were falling short of. Um, and I, it, you, you just kind of got to go with it. And that you know he's signing or signed with the Steelers. So obviously, there's some somebody that sees some talent there. Um, but this is a guy that was that was always too high, and that's that's unfortunate uh, that we have to classify him in that way because you know you've had some guys that have made some really good, I mean, you think back to that Ohio state game in, in 2019, he made some really good plays and showed some flashes, but um, just in terms of across the board, the, the, the rating was too high. And that's um, it sounds like you're dumping on a kid when you say that, but that's kind of, that's kind of the nature of the beast these days. Wade is the third player from this uh, 2017 class to land on an NFL roster. You had him preceded last year by Yitor Grossmatos, a second-round pick of the Carolina Panthers, and KJ Hamler, a second-round pick of the Denver Broncos at receiver. Um, each of those guys, I mean, I think of Yitor Grossmatos, and I know the spotlight was really on him during the 2019 year, but it was his 2018 season uh, as a sophomore to me that that I'll remember. There, he was a wrecking ball in Big Ten play. He was conference player of the week, I think, against Iowa. Other games where he really determined the impact the outcome for, for matchups wasn't a fantastic season in 2018 for Penn state by any stretch of the imagination, how that turned out. But Utah Grossmanos was a major bright spot. And that was KJ Handler's coming out year redshirt freshman game. Number one, Appalachian state. All he does is set up for the game time drive at the end of regulation with a kickoff return, catches a touchdown to tie things up from McSorley. And, and eventually over the next couple of years, uh, easily the leading receiver for Penn State during those two years and one of the more explosive playmakers across college football and a guy who's you know really showed some flashes of exactly that against NFL competition last fall yeah that's uh I mean he's he's such an electric player and and he was a guy that um, I'm looking at his his profile right now. We had him at five nine one fifty six. I mean that's that's a little guy, and plus that knee injury. So there were plenty of questions about Hamler coming in. I think uh, that's a legit one fifty six too, from what I remember seeing KJ oh, at that age. Tiny, absolutely <laughs> yeah. tiny. Um, we missed on that one. Uh, so we're doing all these with the composite rankings, and I opened a bunch of these profiles, and and honestly, most of these four star guys we had as three star guys on twenty four seven. That's including KJ Hamler. We had him as an eighty eight three uh, high three star. I think that's more a product of him playing in the slot than anything. And of course he didn't get a senior season at IMG. So um, there's the excuses made for that one. Um, but this was, this was 
uh, Josh Gaddis's top wide receiver target. I know there were some other guys. I think Mark Webb was in this class. Uh, some other guys that you know maybe were a little bit closer to home or kind of had more fanfare. But Gaddis, to his credit, uh, has always been very good at, at evaluating wide receivers. Not always hasn't always landed them. Hasn't always you know come come through and. Uh, but uh, he he nailed KJ Hamler, and that was uh, that was a big one for him. So, uh, yeah. I, I, what else can you say about that? I mean, you're turning a a, a, four, a low four star composite, uh, high three star, twenty four seven guy into a second round pick, um, coming off of a knee injury where he missed an entire year or two entire years. Basically, that's a pretty good return, and that's pretty good uh, pretty good job of development for. And I don't think probably Penn State probably doesn't get enough credit for developing Hamler since he only had the uh, the big year. But uh, that's kind of how how it works in college football, unfortunately. And then going back to Utor Gross Matos, I know that 2019 was the year he was in the spotlight and was being discussed as a potential first round pick in the ensuing draft. But I'll remember that stretch in 2018, Sean, during the Big Ten Conference push. It wasn't a, a great season by any stretch of the imagination for Penn State finishing nine and four, but major bright spot was, was certainly KJ Hamler's emergence, as we just discussed, but also Utor Gross Matos as a sophomore, really just a dominant effort, 20 tackles for loss. Um, and really just put himself on everybody's NFL draft board. Probably didn't come to fruition as much as people had hoped uh, during his 2019 campaign, uh, a bit neutralized with more attention in some, in some key moments, but very clearly uh, coming out of Penn State as, as, a, as a second-round pick to the Carolina Panthers, a guy that was valued by Matt Rule and that organization um, and, and brings some versatility to the defensive front. A major hit for Penn State with, with Yitor. Yeah, he was he was my favorite player in the class, and uh, you know I think he kind of you know what he went in the 40s or something like that in the draft. So that's a it's a pretty good return on that one. Um, again, yeah, you always always talking about what if in terms of production, and uh, you mentioned that 2019 season, but I think that that's uh, that's a, that's a pretty good return. Really, really good player. Um, you know, I don't know that he's going to go down as one of the greats or anything like that, but uh, really, really good player. I think he's probably, yeah, with him and KJ that, that that's who you got the most out of in this class. Uh, you know, you play what, what might've been with journey Brown, but those two, uh, you know, stepped up and were second round picks and that's a, you know, quite a bit above their uh, above, above the recruiting level. They earned that they earn that ability to make a wise decision in leaving after their third year on campus. Um, and it paid off for each of them. And by the way, two guys at the, at the focal point of this class there, are there two different personalities? I mean, the Etor versus KJ, it, it's, it's funny how, how those guys are so different, uh, so effective at Penn state in their own style. Sean Clifford, I talk about a name that we have mentioned a lot on this podcast and will continue to do so. Uh, he was a four-star uh, in the composite. He was a three-star by 24-7 Sports, committed very early to Penn State, about halfway through his high school career, was an Elite 11 finalist. Um, you know, He wasn't in that very top tier of guys that I saw at the Elite 11 competition that year, Tua Tagovailoa, Jake Fromm. But on that next level, I would say, with a guy like Sam Ellinger, uh, went to Texas and 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 we've seen a lot of Sean Clifford now 4,700 passing yards 41 touchdowns 16 interceptions in his Penn State career Sean uh, there's not much more we can add to this the story is still yet to be written on, on what his career will come out to do he's got two more years of eligibility should he choose to use them at the collegiate level but here we are and you know entering <laughs> approaching the summer of 2021 like it or not, for fans out there, pretty on question as the starting quarterback, a third-year starter. Um, so 
you're squeezing a lot out of your quarterback spot in that 2017 class. And really since then, it's been difficult for Penn State to keep guys on campus for a sustained period of time. Yeah, no way around. That's kind of the, the risk you take when not it's not a risk, but the that's kind of the the double-edged sword when you have a three-year starter in McSorley, when you have a three-year starter in Clifford, there's going to be some some uh, uh, different residuals down down the line in that quarterback room. I remember Steve took a beating on our board, um, insisted that that Clifford was a high three-star guy, and that's kind of how he's turned out to be. So, uh, um, you know, it, uh, unfortunately, Steve was right on that one uh, more so than the than the other services. But yeah, this is uh, this is one where the story's yet to be written. As you said, you still got guys like you know Fred Hansard is still here and. Ellis Brooks is still here in Sutherland and Mike Miranda has turned himself or has had a good career so far. So still there's, there's some left to, to, to get out of that 2017 class three Castro fields who, you know, has, it didn't use a red shirt and he's, he's back for his fifth year. So um, there's still a lot that, that that's out there. Um, I don't want to say what could have been for a guy like journey Brown, but the, the, there are guys that is certainly still willing to, to write their legacy in this class. Who do you think – you just mentioned a bunch of names, and, and I'm going to throw another one your way. Cam Sullivan Brown at wide receiver who's competing to start battling with Keandre Lambert-Smith to play alongside Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson. Whoever wins that job, we're still going to see a lot of the other guys. So Cam Sullivan Brown has an opportunity here. Um, Des Holmes, you know, you've mentioned this, terrible time for him to be sidelined this spring with that left guard spot open and Eric Wilson coming in via transfer out of Harvard. That's a guy that we're looking at closely, but you mentioned Sutherland trying to be a starter. Ellis Brooks is trying to step up as, as the sure middle linebacker and a guy who's going to take a step forward. Um, and then, you know, you, you've got a, a, you know, you got a guy, um, as you mentioned, to Castro fields stuck around for another year who out of this mix of, of players who are still around has the highest ceiling you think by the end of their college career to really make something special happen. I think it's Castro Fields, and I, I I don't know that it's particularly close. Um, probably because we've seen a little bit more from him. Um, Sutherland obviously has a chance to start this year. Holmes has a chance to start this year. Sullivan Brown a chance to start this year. Not unquestioned starters in your fifth year junior or whatever they call them here. Um, but so that's kind of I think I think you're going in 2017, and uh, Castro Fields has sort of established himself. I know Ellis Brooks has sort of established himself. By the way. First round mock for Ellis Brooks this week. That was uh, you. You mentioned that. Wow, I, know, I did not I, think you would mention that. I, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I sent I, you were very busy yesterday with some important stuff, and I still sent that link to you just because <laughs> yeah, I had to you. see somebody. If there's any question on where the brand Sports Illustrated is right now. I'm sorry. I, I and it sounds like I'm crapping on Ellis Brooks, but a first round pick. Come on now. What, You're crapping what, on Sports what, Illustrated, which is a, a magazine I grew up reading religiously. On it's a, a very basis. different company than it used to be. It's very different than the magazine that you used to get, and it's it's really for the in the worst possible way. I mean that, um, but that that's certainly interesting. Back to your original question. Yeah, Tariq <laughs> Castro Fields is is that guy. Um, I, I had to sneak that mock draft in there because it was just so bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I think Castro Fields is the guy that you sort of lean on and the guy that has a chance to help himself out the most um again miranda could could turn into a pro i again high floor guy the ceiling you weren't sure what it was but hey man you, you, those guys are successful in college football sometimes and miranda's been that so far you hope he can sort of hold down the middle this year i don't know that he's going to be a guy that's drafted i don't know if he's going to be a guy that comes out and tests exceedingly well but he's going to put a lot on tape and and so far i think what he was second team all big 10 last year so he certainly impressed somebody well, four years uh, after that signing day for this group, uh, you've got you know uh, you got 
three guys in the NFL. You got a few guys out of football and you've got a bunch that Penn State is depending on here in 2021 to, to make things happen all over the football field, both sides of the ball. So this class, we still don't know, you know, it, we're going to uh, put the punctuation mark at the end of it in a couple of years down the road. You may see, some, you may see, I know you said six year seniors isn't something that Penn State is in love with, but you may see someone from this class, maybe a couple of guys from this class uh, back here next season. So uh, a couple more chapters, but to this stage, you talked about this kind of being uh, a class caught in the middle of two Penn State eras under James Franklin. Well, what are your thoughts four years out of it? And, and really for you, seven, eight years of covering this group? Some ups and downs, and, and you'll have that with every class. I, I think they've, they've gotten some quality contributions. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. This would have been a, a good class to have. I think it started the, uh, the four year, or excuse me, the four game redshirt rule started the year after yeah. this class. So you would have liked to see what you had in a couple of guys there and maybe, I, I don't know, uh, Castro Fields and uh, red shirts are kind of irrelevant with guys that went to the pros like Yitor Gross Matos. But uh, yeah, you would have liked to see a little bit more out of those guys. Uh, again, some bad misses. And I think that the Penn State's really minimized those in the last couple of cycles. And I think that's something that, that you can take away from this in terms of, okay, you don't want to miss on it like a Robert Martin or a Corey Bolds or something like that again. Um, so they've, they've done a nice job in terms of if you're going to miss, miss big or miss athletic. And, you know, that's kind of the way that you got to go about it. So there will be misses undoubtedly. That's, that's college football, that's college football recruiting. Um, but if you're going to miss, miss big or miss fast. And, and for a couple of these guys, they didn't, they didn't miss either of those. And it felt like the front seven on defense was particularly impacted by, by some of the things that didn't happen for this class. We mentioned some defensive linemen, some linebackers. I'm not sure how that plays into the, to the way this team has come together in 2021, but it's something that stood out to me on the negative end. Uh, when reviewing this class uh, and just, just in terms of what did not, you know, materialize in, in four years. And speaking of not materializing, it's worth mentioning two two D commitments in this cycle. And one that you really, really thought was going to sting in Dylan rivers because he was committed very early. He was all Penn state for the longest time, ended up coming to his official visit and flipping to Virginia tech and telling the coaches in person and, ticking off everybody within a five mile radius of that building. Um, but he did nothing at Virginia tech, which is actually was a surprise to me. I thought it was a really good uh, linebacker, really good prospect. Um, so who knows what might've been there. Derek Pitts was a surprise when he committed to Penn state over West Virginia, he eventually did end up flipping to West Virginia, got into some trouble there. I think he ended up at Marshall. Um, th both those guys, you don't want to play what might've been, but you know, Dylan rivers obviously did not flip for the positive there in terms of, of, of on the field stuff. Derek Pitts, um, I don't know if he would have gotten in trouble here or not, but he was, he was a really, really good athlete, um, a guy that they really liked a lot, but there was some, some off field questions. So the decommitments as we see happen many times did not, you know, have the, 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 the effect that we thought they would um, in terms of those guys panning out elsewhere. One last line here. Um, the Pennsylvania class in 2017, Penn State signed two of the top five guys and, and Wade and Thorpe, the other three in that mix, according to 24-7 sports rankings. Number five, Josh Lug going to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, an offensive lineman, Paris Ford, defensive back going to Pitt, and then DeAndre Swift, of course, a star running back out of Philadelphia, five-star kid, ending up in the SEC with Georgia. Yeah, you look at that, you look down that class and um not not great. I mean, DeAndre Swift, obviously the big name and you know, the most success there. Paris Ford, a very good college safety, and then went undrafted this year. Uh David Adams, who was a, a really good linebacker at Central Catholic, had a lot of injury problems at Notre Dame. And that was a guy that, you know, 
Penn State fans were belly aching about missing in the first place, and he never made an impact there. Mark Webb, uh, I, I don't know what to make of Mark Webb's career. He would have been a wide receiver at Penn State, went to Georgia, played corner, um, and it caught on with the pros uh, in, in, in the draft. I think he got drafted. I, I can't remember if he's a late round pick or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's you look. He was in round, round seven to the Chargers. I remember that popping up because he was a, a really interesting prospect because it just you couldn't really figure out what he was going to be program the program when discussing his recruitment back in high school. Yeah. Kurt Hennish at, at Notre Dame has, has turned into a really good player. Um, Zane Zandier is a guy that I kind of beat the drum for during that cycle because you thought Penn state might need a linebacker. Um, you saw what they took in Braylon Franklin and, and Braylon Fraser Walden. And they of course had Dylan rivers. So it was a guy that you thought you may be able to have on a hook. He had a really good career at Virginia. Um, so obviously a smart, a smart move on that part, but uh, you kind of think of what if, when you go back there, Kenny Robinson, it, it, uh, you know, went to West Virginia, had a really good freshman year. Um, didn't really uh, pan out. I think he ended up going into the XFL draft early or something like that. So uh, yeah, you just keep going down the list and I'm, I'm not seeing anybody that really jumps out at me and says, okay, Penn state should have gone after him. Uh, Raheem Blackshear was a player I was always high on, but not at this level. And he he's made some, uh, he's been to three different schools now, but he's, he's made an impact at, uh, at all three, I believe. So nothing really that, uh, that takes you, uh, takes you back and says, okay, you should have gone after that guy. Kyle McCloskey. I, I got a name for you. I got a name for you. Do you? Uh, where are we? Yeah. Have I not gotten that far yet? Oh yeah, there it is. There it he is. He found it. Who uh, is it? Gino, Gino Stone. Stone. Yeah, there we Gino go. Gino Stone. <laughs> I I actually was thinking he was the class before this. Number forty one uh, in the 41 state of Pennsylvania in the composite. We actually had him uh, twenty seven in the in the twenty four seven sports rankings. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was definite miss. <laughs> He's below Kyle McCloskey, who ended up being a walk on basketball player. At Penn State. <laughs> So yeah, that was a, that was a big miss there. A good, really good evaluation job by Iowa. Another safety in that class, Jaquan Amos went to Villanova, had a really good career and now he will end his career at Iowa state. So yeah, I was, uh, I was a year off on that Geno Stone. I'm a big fan of Geno Stone when he was in, in high school and just never, never came to fruition. And he kind of, uh, kind of made the most of his time in, in Iowa city. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. We spent probably more time on that than we anticipated. Hopefully you stuck with us and, uh, you know, fun going down uh, the recruiting trail a little bit. And we always got, have such I, a forward I, focus, but I got one more for you. Uh, okay. The number 71 uh, was a tight end. Whoa. That was Strathaven. It was committed to army. Uh, you know, he played, played a little center for Penn state this year in basketball and, and he's back for next year as well. <laughs> oh, there you go. You, you dug really. I didn't know that there was 71 guys ranked first. We, we got 82. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We got wow. 82. 81 was, uh, uh, ended up being a walk on long snapper Penn State's or excuse me, a pit. So okay. yeah, that, uh, that class, uh, rolled deep. It wasn't the best in Penn State's history or Pennsylvania's history. I'll say that. Journey Brown, by the way, uh, number 16 on that list and uh, a guy that exceeded a lot of expectations in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, Sean, we'll, we'll turn our attention to the five-star mailbag coming up. Um, we'll, we'll put a, a cap in, uh, on that conversation for now with the 2017 class. Again, they are not done yet. There's a lot of guys on the field this year for Penn State from that group in year number five at the college level. Stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Plenty more to come. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly 
so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we're back finishing up with a few nfl notes and the five-star mailbag uh sean the season opener and, and the entire slate for the 2021 nfl season has been announced um we're not going to wait long to see micah parsons in action and he's not going to wait long for his first major nfl challenge going up against tom brady and the tampa bay buccaneers the defending super bowl champions uh so parsons step right into the spotlight with America's team on, on Thursday night football kickoff matchup. And on the other side of the field, you'll have Chris Godwin at wide receiver, Donovan Smith at left tackle for the Bucks. Both those guys rewarded financially this off season. Um, and by the way, Sean, uh, Steven Gonzalez resurfacing. I wasn't sure if he was a guy we'd see, you know, in the NFL landscape, he's got a, a contract with the bills going to be a long road ahead for him to try to earn a roster spot with one of the league's best team. But, but he re- reunites with Ryan Bates. Those guys signed together with Penn state what, five, six years ago at this point, um, Bates, a third year player with the bills, Gonzalez undrafted last year, spent some time with the Arizona Cardinals preseason cuts, did not land with the team. Here he is. Good luck to him um, signing in May uh, with the Buffalo bills. Yeah. I think he was going to play in that spring football league or something like that. Um, which I, I don't know if he ever made it to that, but he was going to do that. And he's worked his butt off, man. He, he came back to pro day, worked out there and obviously, um, you know, didn't catch on with the Cardinals last year, but Hey, everybody's got a shot. He's a big guy. He can, he's a strong guy. And, um, to, to be able to bounce back after going undrafted, being cut, not playing anywhere, not even being on a practice squad or anything like that to get signed the next year, that takes some special dedication. I think it's it's worth noting for for Steven that that, that he you know really put the work in to, to be where he needs to be. 
By the way, Mark Brennan, our colleague at Lions 24-7, uh, has a, a, a good, great rundown week by week of, of where you're going to want to focus in on the NFL. Maybe something to bookmark for when we get closer to the fall, but a bunch of uh, a Penn State uh, you know, prominent games in, in the future, and a lot of those out of the NFC East, as we discussed, coming out of the draft. By the way, Penn State leading receiver all time, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, was reportedly released on Thursday, Sean, but then uh, some backpedaling there. It sounds like by the Denver Broncos, uh, receiving some trade in, in interest, and maybe that's possible now, but it certainly sounds like he'll be on the move. He spent last year with K.J. Hamler in that receiver room. Uh, he was a mid-round pick coming out of Penn State, despite those gaudy stats, uh, but it sounds like he'll be playing for someone else in 2021. Just wanted to drop that in here as well. Yeah, I mean, it's um, depending on when you listen to this podcast, it could very well change yeah. with Deshaun Hamilton. It did, I think, two or three times yesterday. Let's get to our five-star mailbag now. We've got a few questions to get to. It's been great up there on Apple Podcasts, seeing you guys throw your questions toward us. Leave your five-star rating and review. Anything you want to talk about, put it on the table. We'll try to address it here in the show. And we'll start with one on recruiting. How realistic is it for Penn State to ultimately sign two top running back recruits in the 2022 class? And the key word there for me is top running back recruits. Yeah, top. you look at you look at what's on the board. There's a bunch of running backs there. Um, very few guys, I guess you could qualify as top. Uh, you know, I think there's no doubt in my mind, Marion Hampton and Nick Singleton are, are the top guys on the board. So it, it, when you're talking about the uh, realistic possibility for signing two top ones. I think it's very, very low chance that they sign both of those guys. Well, that would be incredible. I mean, that would, you couldn't quantify how creative a class, a running back class that would be. It would kind of be like, uh, it, it would probably be on par with with um, Ohio State's last year when they took last Trevion year, yeah. Henderson and, and Evan Pryor, which you don't see a, a ton. Um, but if you if you landed those two guys, that would be a ridiculous job by Jaywan Sider. I, again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you'd probably get one of those guys. And and right now things seem, seem to be trending well with Nick Singleton, but we probably don't talk about Amari Hampton enough. I think he's a tremendously talented guy. Uh, I think he's right there on the level with Singleton. Uh, um, you know, maybe have a little bit more development left in him than Singleton, which is intriguing when you think about it. Um, but Penn State is doing very well with him. I think uh, North Carolina is in there. Ohio State seems to have turned the heat up. Um, with with running back recruiting, I think Dallin Hayden's very important because he's a Penn State target. Penn State likes him a, a whole lot, but that's the guy that you keep pointing to or, to Ohio State to say, okay, this is going to be Ohio State's back, which won't completely take them out for Singleton, for Hampton, those guys. Cause you know, it, it, every school, if, if you can get two talented ones, it's going to take two talented ones that includes Alabama, who's now pushing for Singleton as well. Um, and also has Hampton on their board. Um, and they have a five-star already. And, and of course they do. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a very interesting dynamic with those two. And then you get to that next level mentioned Hayden, George Petaway's taking an official visit. Ramon Brown's taking an official visit. See, to me, if you're classifying, can you land two top ones? You land one of those top two in, in Hampton or Singleton, and then you land uh, maybe Ramon Brown, maybe George Petaway. That would those be, are four stars. I mean, those are four star guys. That would be a fantastic haul. I mean, I, I, I don't think I can stress that just because they're not both Hampton and uh, and Singleton. That would be a fantastic haul. There's a bunch of other guys out there. Damari Alston's taking a visit. Um, some other guys, Quinshaw Junkins has, all, has always been interested. Um, we did a, a mini board at the end of March, and that kind of pretty much still rings true in terms of what's uh, what's going on on the pulse of, of running back recruiting. And then Jay Sider always seems to be in Florida. So there's, there's a couple of guys down there that they're looking at guys across the country, Javante Barnes in Nevada, um, a couple of guys in Texas. Uh, so they've got plenty of irons in the fire. So it would be surprising to me if they did not sign two 
quote unquote top guys. Um, but uh, that's kind of the way that you're looking at it. If they, if they could land a class of, of say Singleton and Petaway or Ramon Brown or something like that, that would be extraordinary at that position. Remember Penn state signed uh, back-to-back recruiting classes in 19 and 20 uh, with multiple blue chip running back prospects. Uh, no high school running backs came in with this class and you brought in a senior eligible player in John Lovett uh, out of Baylor. He'll be gone next year. I think it's a safe bet to assume that w- at least one of the other running backs in this room right now will not be in the mix on campus going into next year. So there's a lot to like about the path here. If you are an incoming freshman, it's something that I'm sure that they will sell. I want to ask you this, though. I'm going to revise this a little bit. If you got one of those guys on board, let's say a singleton for the sake of this conversation, and you're getting late in the season, you're getting toward that December signing period, and you're getting close to the point where the transfer portal is going to fill up again. Is that another spot where Penn State, you think, would seriously consider saying, uh, we'll pass on the second high school running back because maybe the guy we want is somewhere else and we don't want to reach for someone and we'll go with this uh, a transfer guy. I mean, it, it's. It, do you think this is a spot they can go and hit in the transfer portal again um, later in the cycle? I know this is a hard one to answer, but to me, it seems like maybe you could bring in a combination of a high school prospect and a guy who's played a couple or three years of, of, of college ball. You could do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see that that going in that direction because I think the way that the cycle is going to is going to go is that these guys are going to take their visits in June and then you're going to see, you know, you're, you're going to see Ramon take uh, Ramon Brown make a decision. You're going to see Singleton make a decision. Hampton make a decision. You're going to see a lot of these guys come off the board. And I think the, the way that the numbers and the logic work out, I think it's probably a chance that you go into September with two running backs. So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it's it's obviously not always cut and dry. You look back a couple of years and at this point in the cycle, I guess you, you would have known Kevon Lee, but Kaziah Holmes was still kind of coming onto the the radar here. So that's why they hadn't been to campus. You can say that much. Um, Kevon Lee at that point took an official in, in April. That's why I looked at my watch to see what, what date it actually was. But Kevon Lee took an early official and then Kaziah Holmes took a June official, I believe. Right. Um, so that that's kind of how that worked out. So, you know, that's why I always throw that wild card with Florida in there because you know, nobody really recruits Florida like Jaywan Sider. So, mm-hmm. um, and he hasn't been able to get anybody on campus for the last uh, year and a half, basically. So, um, so we'll see what happens with that, but you got a great crop. I mean, this is uh, in terms of comparing 2021 and 2022 for, for what's out there with running backs. To me, there's no question that there's, that, that 2022 is the, is the way to go. So you take two from one and, and zero from the other, and you end up on the good side of that. You've got an outstanding crop of running backs. You've got an outstanding recruiter and coach and Jaywan Sider, and you've got a really impressive recent track record to point to at the position. It feels like it's going to figure and, itself out at running back for Penn State yeah, at the end and, of this day. And the way that the the cycle sets up with these June officials thing and things like that, there is a sense of urgency there. It's not like a domino situation where you've got one in the board or one on the board, but these running backs look at, at where everybody else is visiting. Katron Allen, a guy from IMG, is going to take a visit as well. So you, you get six or seven running backs, really good running backs that you really like a lot um, to, to visit campus. I mean, that, I think that can can work itself out in, in in shorter time than you may have would have expected in a typical in a typical cycle. Question number two takes our attention back to the 2021 recruiting class. And here it is. Hey, fellas, wondering what the view has been on Landon Tengwall since he enrolled and if he has a chance to break through this fall. Love the pod and the site. By the way, Fitz, Kushwa makes some good beer. Kushwa. Where's my Kushwa hat? I'm looking around here. I got my Shy Bear hat. My Kushwa hat must be downstairs. Kushwa is a, a brewery in Williamsport, Maryland that does some fantastic stuff. Um, 
you know, disclaimer here, I know the guys that started it. So they're, they're pretty awesome guys. So um, if you're in that area, check it out. By the way, it's in state college. Now I saw it at Pletcher's um, last week. So it's uh, if you can get some, get some and uh, you'll enjoy it. But uh, Landon Tangwall, um, this is probably a question from Maryland, from the DMV, given the uh, Kushwa reference. Uh, but uh, Landon Tangwall is a guy who stepped in, had a, a shoulder injury in, in spring camp. So that kind of took him out for those last two scrimmages that we saw. But before that, um, just progressing, as you would think, came in very high floor. And that's not to say, this is probably something where you take away, when you say high floor, you think low ceiling. Well, he's still got a pretty high ceiling. And this guy can move, put his foot in the ground and move people. Technically, he's advanced as any lineman that they brought in under Franklin. I mean, this kid was ready to play as he was ready to play college football as a junior in high school. You don't say that very often about a high school prospect, but he's going to have to catch up to the speed, going to have to catch up to some things. Of course, they didn't play in the fall, so that that kind of sucks for him. Um, but in terms of advancement, uh, he came in ready to go. He's done the the drills for years. He's done the lifting for years, the, spe- the position, position specific lifting for drills. So he really came in ready to go. He's a guy that I think can play all five spots for Penn State if they need him to, um, would not mind seeing him end up on the interior because that means you're probably doing something right at tackle. Um, but I think he starts a tackle and uh, excuse me, begins his career at tackle can work his way into the two deep. We mentioned that uh, 2020 group that came in that, that all redshirted everybody redshirted last year. Um, but uh, Olu Fashan was probably the furthest along out of them. And I think, Tangwall is probably right at that level. I think he's ahead of some of those other guys that he came in behind, which is a a credit to him. I don't think he breaks through and starts as a freshman, but I think we do see him out on that field. I agree with you. And and I wonder if it's kind of a Caden Wallace situation from a couple of years ago, where initially they say, this is a guy that we could green light if we wanted to and needed to, but then you get through the first month. And, and if you're healthy, you say, are we going to burn a, a year of eligibility on a talent like this just to go out for, for field goal, uh, you know, for, for field goal lineups. So I think it's an interesting kind of, uh, you know, study in this new red shirt world that we're living in. How do they deal with the four game threshold injuries could play a role there. And, but as you said, a guy that we would have loved to have seen, in the spring scrimmage action was sidelined a bit, but based on what I've gathered, not anything that would have held him out for an extended period of time. And, 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 you know, we'll see if it was a real game, if he would have been available, it was just a practice in Beaver stadium, by the way, Landon Tengwall, Sean, um, I'm with you. I mean, just watching, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus from that group that we saw in scrimmage action, but just from what I know about Landon watching him play, it's been a while since we saw him in live action, but I, I'm with you. I would put him above everybody in that preceding class. Olush Fashano, I'd like to see them really line up side by side and get some reps together. I, I, I saw Olu Fashano do some nice things. He was the, the next right tackle in behind Caden Wallace during those scrimmages. Would have liked to have seen a look at Landon Tengwall to get a good comparison between those two players because that could be your battle for a second team tackle. Yeah, and I and I kind of said earlier in the episode about Robert Martin and how well coached he was and how you know technically sound and everything he was. Landon Tengwall is a Division one athlete, high Division one athlete. Uh, so that 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 kind of takes that worry away there. But yeah, he's just so technically sound, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do out there, and looking forward to see what kind of growth he has left in that. Um, you know that that was kind of the knock on him. You know, so we had him as a really high prospect. I don't know if we had him as a five-star, but we had him really high very early. And it was kind of like, okay, some other guys have a, a higher athletic ceiling. This kid's still really freaking good. I think he ended up top 75, top 80, something like that. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's got a ton of potential. I Again, I'd love to see him at center. I've, I've put the Barrett Jones comparison on him before. And Barrett Jones, if you're getting anything close to Barrett Jones, you're getting yourself a really good college lineman. So excited to see what the next couple of years bring. I think he's he's a guy that can help them out and be a multi-year starter. 
Got some insight on Tengwall there. I got some insight on some beer. And we move toward our next advertising opportunity here from our third question, Sean. Uh, gentlemen, in your opinion, what is the best local coffee shop in Happy Valley? I'm partial to the cheese shop as the best strip coffee, but personally love Webster's as the best environment in a coffee shop. You guys got any opinion here? I felt a bit spoiled with coffee, coffee options when I was in state college. Well, Sean, this is a, a nice little curveball. Coffee is such a big part of this show. Like usually when, when we, we set this up, it. Yeah. Yeah. When we set this up, it's like, okay, are you ready to go? Yep. Got a pour cup and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm just a regular coffee guy. My it's, it's so funny. My wife is, is big on, you know, the lattes and things like that. And it's just like, give me a, an entire pot of coffee and I'm good to go. Um, so I don't really go out for coffee as much. My wife has kind of, there, there's a new one in town, uh, crust and crumb that my wife has, I think kept in business through the pandemic. So you're welcome. Um, but they're fantastic. They do great baked goods as well. Um, quite a list here in terms of the, what, what's mentioned, uh, Let's see. The cheese shop is very tough to park, but I agree. It's, they do a great job. Um, a guy I used to play poker with Don Goldberg is, uh, is always down in there. Um, always talking somebody's ear off, but, uh, I like Rothrock. Um, that's, uh, kind of on the outskirts of town, which makes it easier for me because I'm not driving downtown every day. Um, uh, not really. It's so funny to, to talk to my friends that live in cities and I complain about traffic and it's like six cars in a line waiting at a stoplight. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Rothrock. Uh, I don't do the thing where a lot of writers will go and sit at Webster's or sit at saints no, and, no, and do that thing. No. I just, I sit at home and do it and, and brew my own coffee. But yeah, I, I've, really impressed with the coffee scene in the last couple of years. And by the way, it's not a sponsor. So this is just a, a freewheeling. We'd like to get those curveballs in, in there sometimes. So if you have, have questions that aren't just, Hey, give us football information. We, we like to talk about those too. Especially local stuff here. Um, and and I'm, I'll give a shout out to, you know, I'm, I'm in a different area of the Valley than you. I'm right outside of downtown Belfont now in our new home. And I've been driving down probably on a, on a weekly basis on, on the weekend to, to get down to my buzz cafe right there by Talleyrand park. Um, this is uh, out of your, out of your location, Sean, but um, it, it, great, great coffee. Uh, I usually get a shot of espresso thrown in there. Uh, they got the, what they do. I like, they make the, ice cubes out of coffee. So you don't get the watered down stuff. I, I go ice coffee every time. So I'll give them a shout out. They got awesome, awesome sandwiches too, breakfast sandwiches. Um, by the way, if you think you own the best coffee shop in Happy Valley, <laughs> reach out, reach out to 24 seven sports, pay us and we will change our opinion yeah, real fast. We are very much for sale. That's not, <laughs> no, but uh, no, it's, it's been cool. Like I can get my beans from Rothrock and things like that. Oh, I, absolutely whiffed on this. I will put in a, uh, uh, an endorsement, good day cafe, um, on Hamilton, a fantastic business. Um, go there, patronize them, do whatever you got to do, help them, uh, help out that business. Cause it's an awesome, awesome setup. I will let you guys Google that one on your own, but it's a, a fantastic business run by fantastic, uh, people. And it's, it's really the, it's the first place I should have mentioned there is, is good day cafe. Definitely check that out. Rest assured, this podcast is powered by coffee uh, on a, on a weekly basis, and uh, we'll 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 get to some more questions in the Apple Podcast or out of Apple Podcast as you send them our way. Got three up there, um, so keep keep them coming. We appreciate it, and, and and a fun kind of slate of questions there, kind of hitting to all different sorts of stuff. Sean, anything else to add? We 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 said this was going to be a nice tidy thirty minute episode. We've doubled it uh, per usual. Um, 
Yeah, I don't mind. It's it's nice though. It's time to get outside for both of us. I like the retrospect aspect of this. It can't always be, hey, what's going on? Because it's, you know, it's frankly, it's mid-May and there's not much going on. So uh, I like the retrospect ask, uh, aspect of this looking back at the 2017 class. Hope we can do it some more. We've leaned so much. I, I And you, we were texting about this earlier. We've leaned so much on that 2018 class because of the accolades that came in with. And, you know, it's the draft class that just went out and things and like that. And the drama. So, there's been yeah. some drama with that group. Yeah. And we don't really think about some of those other classes. So it was nice to look back at a different class and sort of change it up a little bit. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, We will catch up with you guys next week as we roll into mid-May and and continue to approach this big-time recruiting outburst that's that's coming our way June 1st. Stay up to date on the latest coverage from the recruiting trail and and from the Penn State football uh, on lines247.com. We'll see you on the message boards. We'll see you on the site, and we'll talk to you real soon. On behalf of Sean, I am Tyler Donahue. Catch you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.